Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 35th episode of 2021. You know, we still expect the House to vote on the broadband infrastructure deal by September 27th, which includes $65 billion for broadband infrastructure. It also appears that the House will take the Senate bill as is. The sticky wicket is whether the Speaker can receive a vote on the infrastructure deal before the reconciliation bill reaches the floor of either chamber, as there is an effort for both bills to be considered in tandem, as some, some representatives fear that they'll lose leverage if the infrastructure bill passes first. That said, we're still bullish on seeing the infrastructure bill pass the House by the end of the month, setting up a signing ceremony for the president in the mid-October timeframe. So let's hope the next couple of weeks go well. And today, we're going to get to talk about one of my favorite topics. Rural Electric Co-op Fiber Broadband. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last time we met with our good friend, Chad Roop on precision agriculture. In today's session, our guest is Sean Venslike, the CEO and head coach of SEMO Electric Cooperative and Go SEMO Fiber to share their story and success in deploying fiber broadband to their community and how they're helping other rural electric co-ops and providers with their fiber broadband plans. Sean is the CEO and head coach of SEMO Electric Co-op and Go SEMO Fiber. He guides people, leaders, and teams because he loves to see people do things they never thought was possible. Uh, Sean holds a bachelor's from Missouri Southern State University and a master's from the University of Illinois, Springfield. He's a graduate of the NRECA's Robert I. Kabat Management Internship Program. Uh, Sean is the president of the Missouri Institute of Cooperatives, the board of directors for the Energy Education Council, and he serves on the advisory committee for the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition as a, bath, as a past board member of Touchstone Electric Co-ops. So welcome, Sean. It's great to have you today. Thank you, Gary. I'm glad to be here this morning. Well, great. And for our audience, you know, please type in your questions as you go, and we'll get to the Q&A at the end of the presentation. With that, I'll turn it over to Sean. That's, thank you. At SEMO Electric and Go SEMO Fiber, our primary mission is to make people's lives better. And when we do that, because we're two and a half hours south of St. Louis, and we're two and a half hours north of Memphis, uh, we are in a rural area. We're not as rural as some of my friends in Alaska or Wyoming. Uh, but a lot of times when I talk to my urban friends, I say, how long does it take you to get to Starbucks? Uh, a lot of times they'll tell me 30 seconds to two minutes. Uh, for us, it's about 45 minutes. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're in a good area, but SEMO Electric is an area that we serve. We, we're around a large town, but we don't serve institutional facilities like a hospital or a Walmart or colleges. While we have a lot of colleges and institutions around us, we don't serve them with electricity. So a lot of our area is rural. Uh, we'll have uh, maybe three or four houses per mile. We're a typical investor-owned utility. We'll have somewhere between 40 to 100 uh, meters per mile. So this area is a little bit different. And if we started our journey at SEMO Electric, and I humbly say that we've got a great team, and a great board of directors here as a cooperative, 
and it, it's a fun it's a fun journey because we get to really see our our members we call them members and not consumers because they actually own the cooperative and if we're successful they uh, get a share of those profits but as a cooperative family it is fun and, and when we started our journey uh, when i first came here almost 10 years ago uh, there was some issues with pride and with trying to rebuild the reputation of the organization and that's what we've done and we started doing that with a program called camp simo and camp simo is something where we bring people in our partners in to share and Trish will flip to that next slide there and you'll see and part of this presentation today is, as Gary and I talked before I want to leave you some leave behind so all this you can liberate steal borrow because all this can be replicated at your own organization no matter what you're doing whether you're you're selling fiber or you're selling electricity or if you're in the retail business whatever it is people have to understand what you do and why you do that and this agenda that you'll see on the screen right here is a typical layout of a meeting where we've had almost 100 people come through Camp SEMO and we rotate them through 18 different learning stations. We put them into the field. And we've done that primarily, originally, is to build the pride within Team SEMO. So we started as an internal project so people could learn the business within the business. And then we started inviting people from the outside. And we've had our bankers, our insurance companies. Uh, we've just had a, a, a plethora of a lot of different people that have come through. And you'll see there in the picture there, when they finish Camp SEMO, they actually get a T-shirt and uh, we recognize them just like you would if you were a kid when you went off to camp somewhere, if you were blessed enough to get to go to camp somewhere and participate. And Trish, if you go to that next that next slide there, we'll just show, show some more pictures just for you to get an idea of what we do here. And it's important, you'll see the ladies on, the, on your screen on the right with the hard hats and the vest, and you'll see the picture on the left, that's them down, kneeling down at the pole, but that's them actually doing the work with a screwdriver in their hand. And they're actually out there working. And we have, our safety professionals are right there beside it. And most of the time I'm behind the camera because I do try to spend time if I can with them. But you'll see in the bottom left-hand picture there that they actually, they go out and ride in a one-man truck, a service truck, with, if you will. They get to try the gloves on. We rotate them through a, a lot of different stations. But Camp SEMO, again, is a way to build internal pride, but also allow your external audiences to come in and learn about uh, learn. What happened out of this is we started doing the fiber fly-in. So in 2017, our board decided to get into the fiber business. Our organization took a few years before that to get culture to get our culture right, to get moving forward in the right direction. We went to about six, seven different cooperatives to learn about the fiber business from their viewpoint because we didn't know what we were getting into. We we're brand new into the business. So we want to learn from them. And when we visited those co-ops, I'm very appreciative of companies like United Fiber and Rawls and Como and Callaway. And there's just a show me there's a lot of names out there that we visit with and talk. When we came back on our trips, and typically I would drive and the, the team would be with me in what we call my bus, if you will, and we would talk about what we learned and what we need to bring back to present to the rest of the team. And we made a lot of notes. We kept a lot of notes. A lot of times it was a 15-hour day together in a vehicle, see the site come back. And, and it was a learning moment for all of us. But as we moved forward, we started getting calls from other cooperatives to say, can we come and see you? And once that started, we took the Camp SEMO philosophy will and we turned into a fiber fly-in and so we've had almost 40 cooperatives come and visit us over the past three years even during covid we were doing them on zoom uh, we had two or three co-ops from south carolina join us on zoom and uh, we just keep doing this but when the fiber fly-in you'll see the picture there on the on the top uh, that is nathan uh, from our team he's actually showing people how to splice and you'll see how people are leaning into that because when they're first new to fiber uh, what we find out is a lot of people have never seen fiber and a lot of times I'll bring this on, but these are, you know, some maybe may on the screen right now have never seen a piece of fiber. 
And a fiber, if you've ever been around a horse, if you ever feel a horse mane, that's exactly what it feels like. But I can take one of these fibers and feed, depending on how the system's set up, but 32 to 64 homes or something in that range. But then these are called tubes, and within each one of those tubes, there's 12 fibers in there. And so that's a, that, that's what fiber looks like, and that's what we're talking about. And when we've gone to Washington, D.C., and when we've gone to the state capitals, and we visit with politicians, legislators, we find that we take this with them because most of the time, they see this and they assume that that's cable. I mean, that's fiber, but if I flip that around, you'll see it's just coax. And people assume because the orange color of it, they think they're getting fiber. In reality, they're not getting fiber to the premise. They may be getting coax. So what we do, we start with that. Then you'll see that next picture down there. We actually take them to a station. So as we rotate them through different learning stations, we take them in there and we show them how things connect. Like we show them how the, how the uh, ONT on the outside of the box uh, would connect to the, to the router on the inside of the house. And I'm sure all of you, most of you are familiar with that, but you'll be surprised when we bring people in that they don't know exactly what they're getting into. They think they want to get into the fiber business, but they're not sure. Uh, you'll see some more pictures. We actually take them into the boardroom. That's one learning station. We give them the financials and show them how the numbers are, are calculated. And the next one you'll see, we talk about subscriber engagement. There's actually about, if you have a triple play, there's actually eight to 10 different software packages that you have to use in order to enroll somebody to get them on the phone, the TV, and the internet. There's a lot of processes there that people aren't familiar with. Then the bottom picture you'll see, we actually take them out into the warehouse. And our warehouse is offsite. We outsource part of that. And we, with Urban and Urban Cable Contractors, we outsource that. But you'll see Chris Freed down there in the yellow jacket. He's actually showing them the different parts and pieces of the fiber program and how they work. We'll see, you'll see, and then we also, we go, we'll go outside and we'll take them to a home. Well, actually, this is an underground. You'll see the, the, the plow, if you will, the trenching machines up there, and they're doing an underground service right there. And then below, you'll see where we're putting on the booties. Uh, we're actually going to get to go into the house. And then over here on the right side, you'll see in, inside the fiber knock, uh, where, where we'll take people inside and we'll show them what the knock looks like and how things are connected to the, to the World Wide Web. And uh, this is an example of cooperatives helping cooperatives in the cooperative world, having to work somewhere where we had 2 million meters and investor owned. I find that this is, is great because we can share ideas and, and, and things and do things really cooperatively, if you will, to, to blend things to help other people grow and to make other people's lives better. And Trish, go to the next one. Um, this is inside the home. This is actually in a basement. Uh, this is uh, in a basement and you'll see that he's putting the router down there in the basement. And then below that picture on the bottom, what they're actually doing is he's provisioning. So we're showing the people who came to this fiber fly-in. I think on this day we had nine different co-ops here, uh, which is crazy to think this was this was one month. So this would have been a February of 20, right before COVID started. And uh, so this we had nine co-ops here at one time. We had a room full. And you'll see, uh, I put a note up there. What was interesting to us, one of the cooperatives that showed up from Mississippi, was the first rural electric cooperative in the United States. And I thought that was kind of an interesting note. And then the bottom there, you'll see our sticker with our with our, our knit on the outside of the house. And I think there's one more slide. I'm gonna grab a drink of water while she's slipping. So this is actually, uh, and part of our fiber fly-in, we actually bring our, our FCC attorney in from uh, the East Coast. He's flown in for two of them on his own dime to help educate the cooperatives. And a lot of times um, he'll come in and talk about all the regulatory processes that you have to go through and all the taxing and just a lot of issues that nobody necessarily told us about before we got into the business. But there's a lot of things that you have to pay attention to before you get into the business. Or once you're in the business, you're going to find out there's a lot of filings that you have to do. And they just continue to grow since we've been in the business now. 
that bottom picture, you'll see what's interesting about that. Those, there's co-ops there from Illinois and Mississippi together. And what's great, when we do these fiber fly-ins, we actually divide people into different groups. So we don't allow them to stay within their own team. If we have co-ops from different places, we actually divide them into groups. And that way we want them to experience different things as they go and they hear different questions and they start collaborating a little bit. And then when they get back on their bus or their van or whatever, their conversations are very unique and we, we get to hear back from them. In fact, I got a letter yesterday from a co-op who sent us a thank you note to say thank you for helping them get going. And what's interesting now, is some of the co-ops that we've helped, they have surpassed the number of services that we're doing any, even because they're in a bigger geographical area, their density is much greater than ours. So it's really fun to see them succeed and in some way we're paying it forward. Our next fiber fly-in is actually scheduled for September 22nd, and I'm sure we'll have some more events after that, but right now that's the that's the one. This is the final slide, and my phone number is up there if you want to call. I get questions often about Camp SEMO. Right now we've put Camp SEMO on hold, on hold because part of that process is putting somebody in, in one-man truck, one-person truck, uh, and spending two or three hours together. And so with COVID, we've kind of delayed that. We actually have five employees, new, new staff members, we call them Team SEMO, but five members of Team SEMO who need to go through Camp SEMO. Uh, but we've put that on hold. We do have our own, we do have some different ways to teach them and, and our business. But right now we've put Camp SEMO on hold, but we'll get that started. I'm hoping before the, the end of the year, get that focused back on. But as a cooperative, you'll see last, last Friday, those pictures down the bottom is actually a food drive that we held. and. Um, uh, I got two board of directors down there, hold, one holding a watermelon and one holding a ham. And as a cooperative, we're very close to our members and it's much different. Um, it's just cooperatives are just different and uh, we're able to reach out there and get with our members. So Gary, I'm gonna stop there and see if we have some questions and we can make this a conversation instead of presentation. Thanks, John. Um, no, it's awesome. You know, what I love about electric co-ops, it's, uh, you know, every one of you guys are very focused on serving your community and serving others. Um, that said, you know, the I did notice that you are sending your guys, they're down in Louisiana to help out with Hurricane Ida. Yep. Um, working pretty long days, so how's that going? It's going tough. They're in really difficult uh, positions. You'll see that picture right there on the top right. That's actually from down in Louisiana right now, and you'll see they're working in the mud. And if you were to you know, as I'm getting old, I have to use my bifocals, but I have to lean in there and look. But there's actually line trucks uh, going down that pole line. Uh, they work. They start with breakfast about five in the morning, and they have dinner and finish up about 10:30 at night. So they're working just about 17 hours a day. Uh, we've got people down there, and then Sunday we'll send a different crew, a new, some new people down there, and so we'll switch that out. So it, throughout the state of Missouri, uh, we have 100, we have almost 200 linemen down there from the state of Missouri, just from the cooperative families. The IOUs have sent more than that down there, uh, but we have, I think, 30-some cooperatives pulled together, and we'll start switching out crews on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday and get some fresh legs down there because it is difficult. It's different work, and having done some mission trips myself down there after Katrina, it's hard, it's nasty, waters in places you wouldn't expect, and of course you have snakes and, and mosquitoes and other animals that you have to worry about and contend with. Yeah, no, definitely a challenging environment, but I know um, you know, that your efforts are greatly appreciated by all. So thank you for, for that and all your team. Um, so tell me about, it. I mean, what is the density of your subscriber base? That's a great question because we, we thought we knew what the density was until we really started this program, this process. We thought we're, you know, we looked at it and thought to ourselves, well, we've got so many meters and 
Uh, we looked at it about six meters per mile, but once you get in there and start taking irrigation out and grain bins out and, and different things, you get down to almost four meters per mile. And that, that's really, really tough. And, and, and since we've started this project, we've borrowed almost $53 million. That's uh, $5, $3 million. And when we take $53 million and we divide it out by the number of miles that we've actually built to serve our members, and we're almost finished uh, with building out. So we started, we thought this would be a 60-month journey, and we're actually going to finish it. We're going to finish it for our members in about 56 months, 54 months. Uh, we're going a little bit ahead of schedule, but we're going to continue and build out to our non-members. Uh, but when we take that number of 53 million, we divide that out, it comes out to about $28,000 a mile with all cost in. And so when we talk to people in, in bigger cities or with investor-owned utilities, they often say, well, it's about $1,500 a mile. Well, if you have 30 or 40 or 50, 100 homes per mile, it's a big difference. If you had an apartment complex that had 900, 900 apartments in it, it's a big difference. So in the rural areas, we're seeing a lot of cooperatives in this business. There were several before us and there was some that joined us at the same time. Now we're seeing a bunch more jump into the business because it's so essential. It's so essential because people just want to participate in the world economy. They want to shop, they want to watch movies, they want to educate, they want healthcare. They just want things and without having a good uh, internet connection, it's just not going to happen. So $28,000 a mile for fiber. So what is that per premise? Uh, so premise, if you divide that out right now, it's somewhere around 7,000 is what we're seeing right now based on our numbers. But as our as our numbers will go up, that number will come down. Uh, but in the beginning, it's really expensive. We're, we're working on our last, if you will, our last mile for our own membership. And uh, we have a section of, of line that, that has, um, it's going to be $1.2 million. And there's only the possibility of a, no more than 60 connections on that. And we think it's more like 20 or 30. And so it is really difficult at different times. So you can divide and do different math at different times and come up with your number. But the best way that we've found it is to take your overall spin and and because, and divide it by your either your miles or your premise. That's the best way. And I'll say I've got friends in Colorado who have called me and talked to me and they tell me it could be, you know, a million dollars a mile because they have to go through mountains or they have to go through so much rock or they have to do this and they have to do that. And so in each area, it's a little bit different, but for the most part, when we work on feasibility studies for our, our friends across the nation, we find that the numbers are, are mostly scalable. And so based on our meter count for electric, uh, we have a run rate of X. And if somebody's double us, their run rate will be twice as ours. And it, it's all scalable and you just, you can't run outrun your, your bank account, you can't outrun your team. Uh, you have to, this is just a balancing act that we have to do continually because there's so many different parts and pieces that go into providing fiber in the rural area, such as make ready and tree trimming and and, and just a lot, a lot of it's overhead, some of it's underground, but there's a lot of parts and pieces that have to fit together. So I, I was leading a workshop last week in Fort Worth and I had a, a electric co-op in the room and. He was just saying, I can't afford, it's just too expensive. I mean, it sounds like 7,000, 7,500 um, a premise is pretty expensive. So how do you justify, I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth it to your members to have fiber? I, 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 uh, the answer is yes, it is worth it. But I think a lot of times people get stuck on one's a risk. There's three reasons I see that people don't get into the business. One's risk. One's commitment slash competition, and, and three is just hard work. Uh, and I'll go backwards there. It is hard work. I can tell you, we, we, when we first got into this business, we really didn't know what we were doing. Even though we learned, 
we took our electric folks who are very mature and very knowledgeable we put them to the fiber world because they knew our system they knew exactly how to design the system from a standpoint of locations but we didn't necessarily know the technology but we learned quickly uh, but what we did learn because we started in 17 late in the year we learned that the industry typically takes two or three weeks off in December. We didn't know that. We didn't know the systems kind of shut down there during Christmas, and that was a big deal to us. And then we got into January when we got our Juniper, and we had to set up our knock, if you will, and we learned a lot of things. But it was not uncommon for 80, 90-hour week, work weeks and trying to work on weekends. And and uh, I can remember some early days in the in the business. I would I would take Chris and Brad, they were trying to put the knock together and get everything connected and I would drive them out to a site because we had a member who allowed us to put an ONT up and set his house up and we could set outside and we just kept waiting for connectivity. And then one day I can remember Chris and Brad, they're sitting in the back seat of my car or truck and he's watching the NCAA basketball tournament and he just started hooping and hollering and I think I started crying. And, and you know, we knew we had connectivity at that point because we were we we're doing Wi-Fi off the ONT, but that hard work and then the commitment, the commitment, the competition, you have competition, but if you do service right and you're in an area that is what would say rural, we have, we're, we're competing with the big boys and big girls. We have competition around here, uh, but we find our services is good. We're local, people know us. And the third is risk. Uh, it is a lot of risk. It's a lot of money that we're borrowing. Uh, we, we think that blended cost should come down around $4,000 a premise by the time we're done, or maybe even a little bit lower as we continue to build out. And I'm not afraid to share the numbers from the standpoint that to educate other people and, and show other people, because a lot of people do their numbers differently. I understand you can hide, you can, you can, you can move numbers around to make your, make things look better, just like anything, but all your costs from your marketing to your make ready, to your installations, to your drops and, there's just a lot of pieces that go into that and all your regulatory filings. You've got to count all that because this is a, this is a second business. It's not, it, it, you have to treat it as a, as a second business. Yeah, Sean, I think one of the questions came in was asking um, about your service offerings and if you do any wholesaling. Uh, our service, we do the triple play. We do internet, $50 for 100 by 100, $80 for a, a gig by gig. And then we do the phone and then we do TV. We have several packages for TV. We're not into the wholesale business yet. Uh, we do have some inquiries about doing some dark fiber and some different things of that. But right now we've been focused primarily on, on, on delivering our members and working through it because we're working on a, a backup, not putting a secondary knock in right now. We're working on a, a couple of different feeds and expanding our network. So that's robust enough as we continue to grow. But we have grown faster than we expected. And I think our take rate, our take rate is starting to push up into the high, high 50s, 60s, and some places much higher than that. So we, we're going to continue that. But I think that we'll see, and I believe that we'll see some of that wholesale business come to us at some point in the near future. And so, you all your members are largely very rural, right? You're, you're outside the city or the little town um, there. So everybody is. You, you don't really have any big anchor institutions or anything that's funding right. most of your revenue. It's right. everybody is, and that's amazing. You know, you'd be able to offer these kind of service, symmetric services for 50 to $80. Um, and I'm sure your members are pretty happy about that. They um, are not, oh, sorry, yep. Yeah, go ahead. Well, one of the questions um, that came in is there are a number of potential subsidies programs, you know, between FCC, RDOF, uh, the Treasury, ARPA and RUS, how do you figure out which of the programs to try to get funding funding from? That, that is a, a frustrating and 
Great question at the same time. We have been really frustrated over the time since we've been in the business because when we went through the CAF2 auction, uh, we had a, another carrier, uh, a wireless carrier who knocked us down in that auction bid and we've yet to see them really build out, uh, invest their, their dollars. So since that time, we've probably put in about 30 or $40 million since maybe even more than that since CAF2. Close when Ardolf went through, we had a potential of 66 million and we ended up with 8 million. Uh, we got a local grant for $250,000, but we had to turn in $8 million worth of receipts in order to get that $250,000. So the grants and the Ardolf things and the CAF2 and all these, it's, it's really frustrating because now we've set ourselves up into a hole because now we're showing our areas are, are served. And so the opportunities for some of that funding has gone out the window. And for the most part, we continue to work and continue to push for that funding, but it typically happens that we're doing it for other people and not for us any longer. And it, it is frustrating. We're hoping that we'll see some claw, clawback initiatives, meaning that, that if people who took CAF or ARDOF money aren't able to, if they, they give up those census blocks, can we claw that money back? Can we keep it in Missouri? That's what we'd like to see because we really are investing the money. And if we brought some of that money back to us, we would go out and help more people. We would expand our network a little bit more. But right now, we're just in a we're in a mode where we're trying to get some of those dollars, but we've been helping a lot of other people with their grant applications, and we work with our partner Connexon to do the consortium where we can go out and bid. But NRTCs out there, there's a lot of other people who are doing that uh, for rural, trying to make rural America better. And ultimately, I think there's enough money out there between all the different grants that we can we can put fiber everywhere for rural America if we would just get focused and put those dollars out there. So I, there was a comment from uh, uh, someone from Mississippi. It says, I'm from Mississippi and then followed the Missouri public-private fiber efforts for years. Thank you for helping some of our uh, Mississippi co-ops get started with fiber. Our state is virtually covered or in process to be covered by rural electric co-ops. So um, your, some thank yous there for all your efforts on, on that. Do you sell uh, different packages to businesses and residential customers? Uh, how do you differentiate between a home business or a you know, residential service at, at the same home? Yeah, we, we struggle with that because most of the time, if somebody has a home business, we probably don't, don't know that they have a home business, so it's, it's different. But if they need a, a dedicated uh, line, if you will, or they need something dedicated, that, that, that tells us a little bit what they're trying to do. Uh, but for the most part, we try to, pe try to just pe treat people the way you want them to be treated and and we're still learning. This is a hard business in the sense that, that, that you have a lot of competition. We try to keep our plans really simple. Uh, we try to keep everything simple so that we don't have any contracts. We don't have them sign anything. Uh, we, they just go through and, and sign up for service. And in that sense, there's no long-term contract. There's no fine print, if you will. And if they don't like it in a month, they can disconnect to us because it's a prepaid, it's really prepaid. And so if they don't like it, uh, we'll, we'll refund their money to them and, and let them move on. But right now we're not seeing that. Uh, and I think primarily it's because we are local. Uh, you're dealing with your, your, your neighbors uh, and uh, we treat an outage on the weekends just like we do on electric. So if you have, elect if you have a fiber outage, uh, we had four dove, shot, dove shotgun shots this weekend. We have four instances where we had people out shooting birds off the lines and we had one with ants inside the, uh, inside the, the, the box and we had to go out there and fix them this weekend. So we, we, we respond to those outages just like they're electric outages. And uh, I think that service ultimately will, will help us continue to win and continue to see us grow. 
Yeah, I was uh, noting your 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 Twitter was talking to your dove hunters that finally <laughs> not shoot the birds off the lines. Yeah, yeah. You you wouldn't think, but you know we have a real hard time reaching them. We we've caught some of them. If we we we've we've caught a few of these hunters, and they tend to be young adults who are out shooting the birds off the lines, and it's really hard to prosecute them because we were all young once and I've done a lot of stupid things in my life and I wished I could take a lot of them back but uh, we learned from those and we try to do our best to educate people to help help educate them so they'll help educate other people. You just gotta let them know that if they shoot the lines they won't be able to see uh, college basketball. So yeah. uh, We had it happen during Super Bowl last year was during Super Bowl so it's it's uh it's tough and people don't don't like that excuse you know so it, it's just part of the business uh, i got a question here this is a good one how does one get invited invited to fiber fly in uh you'll see my phone number on that and just give me a call or a text i don't have an office phone so that's the only number that i use so if you're brave enough to dial the number or text me uh do it and i don't use email because so much of email goes to junk now so i i, I mean i do have email but i don't give it out because it goes to junk and i may never see it so just call me or text me and i'll I'll try to call you back and the famous bat signal that we have around here. If you need Sean, you call twice in a row and I'll pick up usually the second time. So uh, if it's a real emergency, let me know, but we'll uh, uh, just, just let us know and, and we can, we can work something out. Well, Sean, thanks so much. And thanks for what you're doing in Louisiana, across Missouri and for everything you're doing to help other electric co-ops get fiber deployed. I uh, really appreciate your community and leadership and for sharing um, what you're doing here with our audience. So next week, we're going to be discussing exploiting the digital divide, the cyber criminal perspective with Terry Young, director at A10 Networks, and Gabriel Gums, a cybersecurity expert and the host of Privacy Podcast. Terry and Gabriel will share why rural and remote locations are particularly vulnerable to what operators can do to combat uh, increased threats. So you're not going to want to miss that. So thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.